It's time to catch up on the biggest news of the week in our weekly news recap. Overnight in Chicago's Gold Coast neighborhood, 10 people were shot and two of them were killed. Our officers have taken more guns that are illegally possessed off the streets of Chicago than we have in our history. So this is a gun crime type crisis in our city and in our country. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is moving the city's curfew for minors from 11 p.m. to 10 p.m. after a shooting in Millennium Park Saturday left a 16-year-old dead. The city council approves a new map of Chicago's 50 wards today. Now how those lines are drawn will determine who gets political power for another decade. Lots of news to get into, and I cannot do it alone. Our panelists today, WBEZ political reporter Becky Vivi. Good to see you, Becky. Good to see you, Sasha. And Brandon Pope, host of the weekly news magazine show On the Block. It's co-produced by Block Club Chicago, and it airs on WCIU Channel 26. Welcome back, Brandon. Happy to be here. And David Grising is with us, president of the Better Government Association. Hey, David. Hi, Sasha. I want to start off with uh, the mass shooting last night. Uh, Two people were killed, seven wounded. Now, there were earlier reports that said 10 people were shot, but that's been amended. Um, This happened at 1040 last night in the 800 block of North State Street. Brandon, we started the week with the news of a a racist mass shooting in Buffalo. Now we're ending the week with this. What is going through your mind right now? It's heavy. Um, Buffalo is heavy because I just think about, you know, as a black man, um, having a black grandmother and the people that were targeted in that shooting were the elders of that community in a mostly black area. Um, and then you see this happening as well um, here locally close to home. Gun violence is just so prevalent. It's yeah. every day. It almost seems unavoidable. And you don't know where it's going to be and where it's going to hit. And so um, we have a mental health crisis right now that really needs to be addressed. And um, I'm just I'm praying for our city and just hopeful that we get some answers soon because the bleeding hasn't stopped. This started as a, a brawl between teenagers outside the McDonald's, which is just blocks from Michigan Avenue. Police Superintendent David Brown says the suspect in the shooting has been arrested and that the charges are pending. Here he is describing the scene. I'm ready to hug everybody in here. Like, I appreciate it because this is hard. This is so hard for me. I ain't had no tears today. So that's that's the incorrect clip there. But, uh, David, what do you make of the incident and police response? Well, what it tells us is there's still no solution to this kind of thing and that the Chicago Police Department uh, itself has not been able to come up with anything. Um, we'll be talking about curfews later. That's one tool. They're community policing, all the various aspects that have been tried and still failed. Chicago is not unique in this regard, but uh, we're now more than two years into a surge in violent crime in the city with no answers in sight. And it's uh, very troubling. And of course, as we head into a mayoral election, it will be a huge election issue. Mm -hmm. We, uh, We talked to WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell earlier this month about the number of shootings that we're seeing this year. And as of the end of April, it was down ever so slightly compared with last year. But that doesn't mean it stopped, right? And so, Becky, if you take off the journalist hat for just a second, how do you feel as just a Chicago resident? Um, I mean, it's definitely hard to wake up every morning and, and read about what is happening. I hear it at my house. You know, I hear gunfire. And I think that that is... Um, you know, concerning. I have little kids. I think that everyone in this city wants to feel safe. And I don't feel like that is something that our leaders have been able to assure us of. Um, And I I do think that there's there's definitely something, some root 
root problem that really we are not getting at. Um, I, I am also really, I will say, very concerned about, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but concerned about the ages. You know, every time these happen, it's teenagers, 13 It's getting younger and younger. younger, younger. Yeah. And it's, I just, I it makes me think about what these, you know, kids really have been through the last two years. It's been hard on all of us, but if you're a kid, a teenager, and you're not getting the support and coping that you might need, you know, mm-hmm. Brandon mentioned mental health. Like, we need to figure out how to address this because, you know, it, it's the cat's been out of the bag. I mean, they're carrying guns around and they're getting in fights and yeah, and turn it's turning into mass shooting at the McDonald's. Right. You know? so, As a parent of two teenagers, like I want to keep them inside. Yes. But I don't want to keep them inside. Right. They, mm-hmm. That should not be the solution. We've got that clip now of Superintendent David Brown uh, describing the scene. Let's listen. As soon as this gunman fires, he then flees down into the CTA platform with our officers close behind this group that the shooter is with. that has been arguing with the other group. They all flee down this platform with this shooter who's still armed with the gun. There's also another individual down inside the CTA platform that obstructs the officers from making the arrest. There is a uh, third individual, a female, who's with this group that flee down into the platform that is electrocuted on the rail line and needs care and is in critical condition. Wow. Well, David, the superintendent, also said that he's placing officers on State Street and outside the red line. Do you expect that we'll see calls for even more police presence downtown? Well, we certainly will. Uh, and that's one of the things Becky is talking about, her response to what's happening. Um, this is happening now all across the city mm-hmm. and um, in places where you wouldn't expect it, in the Millennium Park issue and, and Lincoln Park and Streeterville, in addition to neighborhoods that have dealt with problems like this for many more years, um, it's a citywide phenomenon. And uh, unfortunately, this won't be the last. And and that's what that that sense of foreboding is, I think, what's on people's minds in all neighborhoods of Chicago. Um, and again, without any plan in sight that can address this, it, it's problematic. Well, the mayor is now asking city council to approve an earlier curfew for minors. Becky, what's the mayor looking for exactly, and and what's the latest on the city council vote? Yeah, so it advanced through committee this morning. Oh, did it? Um, Okay. And that was an ordinance that will permanently, uh, or, you know, it will move the current curfew that we've had for 30 years um, from 11 down to 10 p.m. for all nights all across the city. There's also separate of that, the Millennium Park 6 p.m. Thursday through Sunday curfew, uh, which is, I guess they are calling it kind of a restriction. You must be accompanied by a a responsible adult. Mm -hmm. A little, you know, unclear what some of that definition is. I did see some reporting um, that they have put up uh, metal detectors and points in in Millennium Park. Um, So there's these two separate sort of curfew proposals. And there's a lot of um, debate. You know, I was listening to the committee this morning and you had several people very much in support of it um, and asking a lot of questions. You know, some some frankly pro-police aldermen, former police themselves asking about what are the current consequences for breaking curfew. If there are none, then obviously this is why, like, what's the point of moving the time if there are no consequences for breaking it? But then there were also folks like Alderman Andre Vasquez talking about how when he was growing up in the city, getting 
you know, stopped by police on his walk home from a park. And so I think there's a question of will this, you know, will the curfew actually lead to more safety or will it just lead to targeting of black and brown children? Well, what are the consequences Well, so (laughs) they gave out some numbers this morning in committee about the number of people who've been charged with violating curfew. Um, And it's less than a thousand. It was like 600 um, two years ago and 300 something last year. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a citation that comes along with another, like there was another reason that the person was picked up. Um, So, you know, it's not like they're out there, you know, at 10 p.m. blowing the horn saying go home. Um, and if you don't, we're going to ticket you all. Right. But I don't know if that's what they intend to start doing. I, I sense that that is not the case and that it's perhaps more symbolic on the mayor's part. Again, re-election year, as, as David mentions, like she has has to start taking some steps. And this feels like one that can be quickly implemented and and show some effort. Yeah. Uh, WBEZ reporter Susie Ahn spoke to the mother and friends of Shondell Holiday. He's the one that was killed in the altercation on Saturday night in Millennium Park. Here is what they told her. I'm ready to hug everybody in here. Like, I appreciate it because this is hard. This is so hard for me. I ain't even had no tears today that it happened because I done been through this so much, so I can't even cry. Like, I wanted to cry so bad, but I couldn't. Downtown's supposed to be a safe place. It's supposed to be somewhere you can go watch. Nowadays, it's summertime. It ain't to have fun no more. The summertime is for you to survive and keep your life. Brandon, this is this is heartbreaking to hear. Like, I mean, these are his friends. That was his mother at the start of that, that, that clip. And as we've said, we hear this so often. The ACLU's raised concerns, too, about this new youth curfew, that it's it's wrong for teens to not feel welcome in their own city. Tell us more about the ACLU's position. On yeah, this. they continue to blast the curfew. They don't think that there's legal standing here uh, for it to be in place. And they actually argue today that, you know, with Lightfoot having to go through counsel to justify it, that itself proves that to them – this is not something that can actually stand or has legal authority. Of course, Lightfoot's side and her law department argue, you know, she has executive, you know, order uh, powers in a sense. And, you know, she can do that. And that's what that was temporarily. But she intended to all along to go through counsel as she did today. So it, it, it's one of those situations where uh, it's so nuanced. There, there's so many things at play here. And you got to think about these kids just hearing that soundbite there. Yeah, I, they live with this trauma every single day. It was quoted that Shondell, he said his goal was to live to the age of 21. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of his friends said he had no more tears left to cry. Yeah. That's that's just sad. Sasha, if I could weigh in on the ACLU. The ACLU has a really important history here with regard to stop and frisk in Chicago mm-hmm. and other cities and has fought the racial discrimination that is behind a lot of stop and frisk, frisk practices mm-hmm. in the Chicago Police Department. And one of the problems with this curfew is it then provides sort of a license for cops to go back to that bad old practice of pulling over black and brown people, stopping them disproportionately to their the risk that they represent. And so that's going to be one of the issues as this curfew is implemented, uh, whether we see, and that's one of the reasons ACLU mm-hmm. has been so vocal here, is it's going to feed back into that sort of license that cops have exercised. And community groups like Good Kids Mad City, these youth groups, they, they're talking about this exemption within this curfew law for Lollapalooza and ticketed events. We think about who frequents Lollapalooza right. and ticketed events. It's suburban white kids usually. 
black and brown kids, you know, poor black and brown kids. They go to downtown to have fun and escape the violence in their own neighborhoods. What do they do now? The city says they have programming, but the library closes at 3 p.m. on weekends. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do after that? Right. So it's, it's just tough. There was another heartbreaking news story this week, Becky. Uh, This one involving an unarmed 13-year-old boy shot and seriously wounded by Chicago police officers, happening just a little more than a year after that shooting death of Adam Toledo. Mm -hmm. What do we know so far? So the details here, um, David Brown didn't actually give very many details, but from what I can gather from reporting in the Sun-Times and other outlets, uh, this boy uh, jumped out of a stolen Honda Accord in the Austin neighborhood uh, near a gas station. And that's when cops had been pursuing the Honda Accord because they had known that it was reported stolen. Um, And that same Honda Accord had been involved in a carjacking the the day before in Oak Park. And so whether or not the boy was connected to those previous events, he was in this car and then jumped out of it and was, was running and was hit by officers. Now, he is in serious but stable condition, you know, unlike Adam Toledo, who lost his life. Um, my understanding is COPA is investigating that. COPA is the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. Right. It's policy and procedure for them to do that. There will be, you know, body-worn foot- body camera footage at some point released, and um, the officer involved is on administrative duties for 30 days, again, per policy. Um, but I think there's a lot of questions, yeah, about Foot pursuit Again, policy. 13, the foot pursuit policy, a 13-year-old boy, potential carjackings involved. Um, and so, you know, what are the events that led up to this moment are the questions on everyone's mind. And could any of them have at any point been prevented? Yeah. Another incident, Becky. Oh. Another Even one younger. Invo- <laughs> another one involving a child. Mm-hmm. Another one involving a gun. This one over at Disney Magnet School right. on Chicago's north side. What are the details there? So Disney Magnet is a school in Buena Park along the lakefront. Um, an eight-year-old allegedly found this gun under his mother's bed and put it in uh, the backpack and took it to school. It went off and ricocheted off of, I think, the ground or a wall, and it grazed another seven-year-old boy. Um Thankfully, um, just a graze wound. That, that boy was taken to Lori's um, and seems to be fi- okay and fine, and uh, families have been notified. Um, the judge said it very well when he, you know, when the mother appeared in court, that this was a, uh, could have been a very different case and a very different tragedy. Um, the the mother sometimes reports that she did have a valid firearm owner's identification card, a FOID card. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, where this gun, how it was under the bed and not locked up and how, how do you the not boy, keep it away like, from your eight year old. And also how did the, you know, how did it get through? I don't know if there are metal detectors necessarily at that school. It is an elementary school. A lot of high schools have metal detectors. Um, you know, how it made it way into the classroom. Disney's a, a magnet school. Kids come from all over the city. It's very, uh, academically good performing well-performing school Mm -hmm. um interestingly i've been in that school it actually has kind of a architecturally interesting um setup in that the classrooms um are not there's not walls between the grades necessarily they're kind of all in like an open space on the different levels um so you know again yeah a a gun in that environment could have had much worse um, consequences. Oh, for but sure. They are offering, CPS says they're offering, you know, family support and they've got, you know, mental health counselors at the ready 
Um, I have not Good. personally talked to anyone in that community. I've just read the reporting. And again, as a mother of young two young boys, it's just it's scary. Oh my it's gosh, really it's terrifying. Uh, well, let's hit on two quick stories before we take a pause here. Becky, sticking with you for just another <laughs> moment. Um, we got to talk about this new ward map. It's oh gosh. Overwhelmingly approved on Monday by city council. <laughs> just big winners and losers here. Sure. So, I mean... Winners, um, the African American wards are, were preserved. There are 17 of them. Um, one of them is a plurality ward that you know could potentially see an increase in Latino population over time, but currently is black uh, majority. We have a one majority Asian ward, the first time ever a majority Asian ward. Both dueling maps had an Asian ward, but that's a big win here. Um, 14 majority Hispanic wards. The rest are no majority or white wards. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the b- big losers, I would say, is anyone who lives in the new 36th ward, which yeah. <laughs> snakes from the pool Nero O'Hare, Nero O'Hare, all the way down Grand Avenue. Um, very industrial, you know, diagonal that cuts the city and then scoops up like, West like a hockey town. stick. Yeah, like scoops up West Town and Ukrainian Village. I literally live like two blocks off of Grand Avenue, so I just barely <laughs> snaked just out of. It. I snaked out of the snake ward, I guess. But <laughs> Are you in um, that place where it's where the ward is one block wide. Or yeah, just no, block I'm right? one block past the, the one block. I'm in the 26th, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm in the like Humboldt Park one. But it is, yeah, it's very. Uh, we'll see if that one stands, if that one gets, yeah. you know, challenged in court, obviously. Um, and 36 Ward current alderman Gil Viegas is running for the new third district congressional seat. There were some politics at play here I won't bore everyone with. I mean, it's basically sort of was was he was leading this charge that the, the Latinos were challenging and trying to get 15 wards instead of 14 you know, that yeah. ultimately didn't happen. And there were some backroom deals that got made and oh accusations boy. of people being snakes as well as drawing snakes into the map. The Chicago oh. way. <laughs> so <laughs> fun. So fun. OK, David, quickly, the governor uh, busy this week, right? He signed a bill making Illinois the first state in the Midwest to ban what are called ghost guns. What's that? Right. Well, with the advent of pretty 3D printing, there's this new phenomenon of people printing out their guns at home and uh, and using them out on the streets. Uh, no serial number, no way to identify them. Mm, uh, untraceable. Many of them, uh, untraceable. Many of them can get through metal, metal detectors, et cetera. So it's a huge public safety problem, and this is a good step toward trying to get a handle on it. I'm not sure exactly how much it'll do because people who are making their guns at home aren't necessarily going to comply with this new law, but it's a better than having no law at all. Becky, the Chicago Teachers Union is holding elections today to decide on who's going to be the new president. Give us some insight into the three candidates. Right. So we've got Stacey Davis-Gates, a well-known name. Um, she currently is the leader of the union, or I should say vice, vice president. Vice president, yep. yeah. Jesse Sharkey will step away, but she's leading um, the core caucus. This is the caucus that Karen Lewis uh, was a founder of and rose to power in 2010. Um, and they've been in power ever since. They have really shifted the the tone and the focus of the union. Um, they are being challenged in kind of two directions. One, um, from a group called Members First, uh, the led by school psychologist Mary Esposito Usterbowski. I believe I said that correctly. And then um, Real, the Real Caucus, which is actually kind of a, a spinoff of the core. They're kind of, I think, coming at them almost from, from further left, mm. um, led by Darnell Dowd. He's a seventh grade teacher at Ray Elementary School. Um, some other folks who were very um, core, you know, stalwarts are part of that real caucus. Um, and I'll 
try to categorize them quickly. We know core, but members first is essentially what it sounds like. They want to focus on bread and butter issues, raises, um, health insurance, issues in the classroom, how much prep time teachers get. They want to really kind of get back to that bread and butter stuff that unions do. Mm-hmm. And then the real caucus, um, they are more like core. They want to talk about social uh broader social issues, mental health, community, affordability, um, you know, violence in the school, uh, violence in the communities outside of the schools. But they also, um, I think, uh, have some concerns about the current leadership's transparency and the current leadership strategy as it related to like the the walkout or the, the work stoppage that happened in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both those challenging groups are, I think, a little upset that, you know, they went out and didn't really get anything. You know, they lost pay. And um, I think that it'll be really interesting to see how this vote falls. And one interesting thing about this, similar to Chicago elections, if one candidate does not get 50 percent plus one, it will go to a runoff. So because there are three, we could end up seeing, you know, a, a split in which nobody gets 50 percent plus one. I see. Um, and so... That's kind of the dynamic. Any clear front runner? Um, I would say no. Okay. I mean, obviously, core being an incumbent, um, we'll see. Yeah. But I think uh, it's it's the most competitive since that 2010 election that brought Karen Lewis to power. And really, before that, the union was very much a bread and butter. Um, they cut deals with Daly to kind of who wanted to buy labor peace, if you will, when he was trying to get the Olympics. Um but, you know, Rahm Emanuel came into office right when Karen Lewis came into office, and um, they certainly clashed. Uh, David will remember this because I was working for him at the <laughs> right. time. Um, you know, we, we, we were covering the first thing I covered in the school board was the Rahm school board voted to take away their 4 percent raise, which really provoked them into this fight. Um, and it, it was the raise that spurred the conversation about all these things like how many counselors are in schools and taking care of special education. And they went on strike for the first time in 20 years. And Karen Lewis really talked about broader stuff, not just the raise, but, um, you know, then we had school closings. And I think when you think about the future of the union, we're seeing enrollment declines and there could be closures. So what good is a raise if your school's closed? Right. (laughs) right. So we'll see. I'm really fascinated here about Stacey Davis Gates's role. Um, you oh. know, she's been talked about as a potential mayoral candidate. Right. Um, how her slate does here is really going to matter. And she's both beloved and sort of hated, depending on who you talk to within CTU, because of the CTU's nature now to be part of this Democratic machine. Donations they made to Tony Preckwinkle's failed mayoral campaign, you know, ties to uh, Mike Madigan and things like that and where the money is going. Yeah. Rank and file members don't really have a say on political donations and things like that. But there's so much money going toward that. And Stacey Davis Gates represents that kind of, you know, incumbent wing there and that political operation there. And this all happens against the context of an elected school board coming down the pike. Right, they fought for. Right. And so the leadership of the union going into that period of the transition is going to be really important, broadly speaking. Mm -hmm. We are going to turn to the Chicago Reader quickly. And I'm looking at you, Brandon. Tell us the latest news on ownership of the Alt Weekly. Yeah. So Len Goodman, who was, you know, highly criticized after he wrote this op-ed 
inside the reader, which he uh, owns about COVID-19 and vaccinating kids that had tons of errors and, and factual things. Uh, he basically held the Chicago reader ransom. They wanted to move to a nonprofit structure to be able to uh, survive as an organization and pay their 35 different employees. Um, and he was unhappy about the censorship, as he called it, um, and basically threw a fit and said, no, I'm not going to do it. Hmm. Well, people stood up. They protested, they pushed, and now he's offered to actually step away, and now they're going to transition to a nonprofit structure. Uh, what that does for them, what that sale does for them, it allows them to apply for grant money. Um, it allows them to uh, get some of those tax benefits you get from being a nonprofit, easing that burden. And overall, we look at nonprofit newsrooms and journalism and the future of it. It is in question at this point, but there's no doubt that uh, we need nonprofit newsrooms without interests or without the the idea of just we need to make money because ultimately this is work for the people and that's what reader ultimately stands on so yeah. uh, that's how they're going right now those two owners of the alternative weekly paper they bought it originally for a dollar in 2018 they transferred uh, the ownership to a nonprofit entity and sold it uh, for about a hundred dollars so wow pretty good well there. while we are on the topic of local media i do want to actually take a moment to congratulate you david oh. i'm looking at you yeah. <laughs> uh, the better government association received the most prestigious honor in journalism last week you got a pulitzer prize yo yeah, we did in fact along with the chicago tribune thank you very much congratulations Sasha. tell us briefly about that reporting that earned you the honor right we reported about fatal death fire deaths in chicago 61 people died over six years in buildings that the city was made aware of fire safety problems and basically did nothing to address it. And in the course of the reporting, the mayor put into place a scofflaw landlord list that we then did some follow-up reporting about that is really just kind of toothless. Uh, Some 40 buildings where those fatal fires happened would not have made the list of scofflaw landlords. And really, other than that, nothing has been done by the city, and there's still a lot of work to be done to make people safe from fires. And so this package that we did with the Tribune, um, we actually did some what's called solutions reporting, which looked at what other cities have done. Mm -hmm. There are solutions out there. It's just a question of the political will to do that in order to protect people from fires, which are disproportionately in black and brown communities. And the mayor who fashions herself as an equity-focused mayor, yeah, um, it seems like a gimme for her, but so far has not been. Well, great reporting there. Uh, Brandon, back to you. The PGA Championship got underway yesterday, but we've actually got our own local golf story, I'm hearing. Tell us about this new golf program coming to two Southside schools. Yeah, we're talking about the Southside schools, uh, Brooks College Prep and Hyde Park Academy. We know golf is an expensive sport. Tiger Woods in the sport obviously expanded the scope and and the possibilities of African-Americans being able to be participants in the sport, but it is expensive. And so uh, we now have these two Southside schools being backed by Kemper Sports and Callaway Golf, who are footing the bill uh, for new clubs, access to Harborside Golf Center, um, for these students to be able to have their own varsity uh, golf clubs. First time these schools have had it, um, mostly black and brown kids, 22 students already signed up at Brooks. Um, so this is a pretty cool thing. And you think about, too, with the Obama Foundation, mm-hmm. Obama Center coming in and Tiger Woods building his golf course, you imagine those schools are going to be a part of that piece of the picture as well That's when awesome. it comes to that. Pretty cool stuff there. That is awesome. Well, we're going to end on something very different. Today is actually National Endangered Species Day. You're welcome. Um, we're talking about this on the news recap, though, because Chicago recently lost a beloved animal who is a protected endangered species. I'm talking about Monty, the oh, piping plover. Monty. He died a few weeks after returning to his summer home at Montrose Beach. There's a memorial being planned for him this coming Wednesday. Guys, 
Any surprises about how fascinated we've become with these birds? <laughs> I mean, it is a little shocking how enthralled people are. I'm like, oh, I, you still care. I think We're I've talked about so Monty at least twice on this show. Yeah. 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 I mean, the the birding community in Chicago is strong. Yes. Monty's yeah. the man. R.I.P. Yeah, absolutely. And and our Black Hub colleague will know that Chance the Gator now, uh, Monty the <laughs> Chance the Snapper. Oh, yeah. man. So what's Chance, on we love our wildlife here in Chicago. <laughs> Even though we're a big city, we've, yeah. got, we've got the the most, yeah, I mean, well, embrace it. <laughs> we are out of time. Before we go, I want to take a moment to congratulate you, Becky, and to thank you for your great work. You are leaving WBEZ very soon. You're going to become, though, the Bureau Chief for Chalkbeat Chicago, That's which right. is amazing. We, we wish you all the very best. We look forward to hearing your final report on WBEZ. And next Friday, you will host the weekly yep. news recap one last time in my absence. <laughs> thanks a lot. Good looking out, girl. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank Our you. thanks to WBEZ political reporter Becky Vivi, Brandon Pope, who's host of Block Club Chicago's show On the Block, airing on WCIU Channel 26, and David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. Have a great weekend. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.